Well, if you listen to um, some of the key words in the song, it talked about that we have these tests in life, we have these fights that we have to fight, we have these lessons we have to learn. And honestly, a lot of that doesn't make sense if you exclude God from the equation of reality in your life, but if we include God uh, in the equation of the reality in our life, well then, we understand that God intends our lives to have meaning and that we are supposed to be growing as human beings right until our last breath. In other words, this is a developmental journey and that there are lessons we are meant to learn in this life. And when God does test us, it's not to test us in the, to see if we would fail, but it's rather to catalyze some dormant faculties in us that won't come alive unless they're under sufficient pressure and challenge. And then, of course, fight. Uh, there are some things in life we need to learn to fight. And this series is, is about marching on. It's about marching on. Through these series, sometimes we have to build things, sometimes we have to endure things, sometimes we have to fight things. And um, these are good experiences, albeit they don't always feel good when they come, but they're meant to be part of this developmental journey that our Creator intends for us. And this, this training that we go through here, it's meant to prepare us for life in a different realm on a higher level that's a little bit hard for us to picture right now, that all the things that we are faithful in, even the tiniest things, really, really will matter tremendously as far as the formation of our character so that we can then actually be trusted with an awful lot of power and responsibility for the eternal future. There's a verse that I want to use that we'll have as the uh, overarching explanatory verse, kind of the theme verse of this entire series. And so let me share that with you to start with. It's from the New Testament, the book of James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, in the same way, faith, and that word faith, it could be translated trust, confidence, reliance, same Greek word, pistis is the word. In the same way, faith or trust by itself, if it does not prove itself with, what is the word? Actions, it's dead. So in other words, a person may say that they have faith or trust in Christ, but James says if there's no actions to prove that out, it's, it's dead faith. It's, it's of no good. Another version of it says it this way. So then faith that doesn't involve action is, what is the word? Phony. This is the overarching theme of this series. Sometimes you just have to. And the idea is you have to take some action. If we actually trust Christ... If we actually are his followers, we're going to take his word very seriously, and often it calls for action. Now, there's a reason for this. It's, it's part of this design that God has for human beings in this life. So in this series each week, I'm also going to share this next block with you. God always intended our relationship with him to be dynamic and developmental. Dynamic and developmental. Dynamic. The dynamic is the result of our trust in God. You see, when we talk about faith in Christ, trust in Christ, it is the re-engagement in a relationship with Christ, our creator. And so we're gonna now, because we trust him each and every day of our life and 24 seven, it's gonna be in our minds that we're, we're gonna respond to him. Relationships are dynamic, they're not static. So if I could go back to that, please. The dynamic is the result of our trust in God. The development is the result of our what? No obedience, no growth. How many of you have known some people that will say at least, oh, I, I've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years. I, I, I never miss a Sunday in church. And yet when you honestly observe their life, you're not trying to be critical or mean-spirited. When you observe their life, you really don't see much at all 
that differentiates them between anyone else. You don't see any indicators of actual growth. How many know people like that? Because I do. And there's problems with that because when we've really returned to Christ, our creator in trust, we enter into this dynamic relationship and it's dynamic in that he wants to teach us how to live. He wants to show us how he designed us to live. And if we trust him, we're gonna take those instructions, stop doing what he says stop doing, start doing what he says start doing. That's dynamic, that's day to day, that's gonna change us. And as we obey, and only as we obey, does it develop us. You guys have heard me do this illustration a million times. How many of us know you can take, you know, a a stack of books about exercise and healthy eating and read them and become an expert at them, but as long as you don't actually eat healthy or exercise, does does it help you any at all? Does it change you any at all? Right? No. Faith without action is dead. Faith without action is phony. So we start this first message off with someone that demonstrated their trust in God because they took action and started a building project, the biggest building project maybe that any individual human being has ever undertaken, ever. And here's the thing, all of us are builders. Just curious, how many of you when you were kids, you, um, I don't know, you built clubhouses, you built forts, you built tree houses, how many have ever built anything like that when you were kids? And did you do it because somebody made you do it or was paying you to do it? Or did you do it because it was just fun? How many say fun? There's important. There's importance to that. We are, we are builders by nature. We are builders by design. We are created in Christ's image, the scripture says. Christ is a builder. He built the universe. He built every living thing. We are builders inside, and we get great delight, great satisfaction, fulfillment, meaning by building. But more importantly, as we build, we ourselves are built. And as we build what God asks us to build, and he asks us to build all kinds of things in this life, we find that although there are some, a, lot of, a lot of good results from what we build, we ourselves are built in the process. It brings things alive in us. It develops capacities in us that lie dormant in any other way. How many of you remember some of these toys when you were kids? Uh, you know, it amazed me. These are still really, really popular, like Lincoln Logs. I think they've been around since Lincoln. And, you know... <laughs> And, uh, you know, Tinker Toys. This one thing in the bottom called Mechano, when I was a kid, they used to call it Erector Sets. How many remember Erector Sets? Only the rich, crazy engineer kids had those. They had all these motors and steel things, and, you know, I, I never could understand those at all. Lincoln Logs was more my level. So we'd love to build. And each and every one of us in here uh, is building and should be building, and should be building all of our lives. And you say, well, well what, what are we building? Well, you know, some of us, for, well, let me, let me rephrase that. All of us, according to Jesus, are building a life, a character. He compared people's building of their lives to individuals that were either building on a sand foundation. That's people that just live any old way they want. He said people that are building their life on a rock foundation are the people that not only hear his word, but do what it says. So we're all building a life. We're building a character. But we're building relationships. I mean, you know, we, we build friendships at multi-levels. Uh, we build very intimate relationships, you know, in marriage and with our children and so forth. Uh, some of us are building ministries or you're helping build a team or you're, you're building a business. I mean, there's all kinds of building that we get engaged in in this life, and rightly so, rightly so. So today we want to take time, and like I said, we want to look at a guy that... Uh, 
is arguably, arguably the, the biggest builder individually uh, of all time, and his name is familiar to everyone. His name is Noah. And so, if you don't mind, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 6, because uh, a lot of people think they know the story of Noah, but nobody's, or a lot of people haven't read it. <laughs> We're actually going to read it. How about that <laughs> for reading a Bible story in church? <laughs> We'll just read a few uh, select verses, and then I'll jump you to verse 22. But I don't have to pay, tell you the page number because it's the first book in the Bible. If you can't find that one, shame on you, right? Now, if I ask you to turn to Ezekiel, I'll give you the page number, okay? So Genesis chapter 6, let's start with verse 1. It says, when humankind began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, must pause here, sons of God in the Old Testament is only, only used of angels. It's never used of humans. In the New Testament, when individuals return to Christ in trust, they're called sons and daughters of God. Never in the Old Testament. It's only used of angels. It's important that you get that in your head as you read what happens next. It says, the sons of God, which we now know are angels, saw that the daughters of humankind were beautiful. Thus they took wives for themselves from any they chose. So the Lord said, my spirit will not remain in humankind indefinitely since they are mortal. They will remain for 120 more years. Verse 4. The Nephilim were also were on the earth in those days uh, and also after this. When the sons of God, remember angels, were having sexual relations with the daughters of humankind who gave birth to their children. They were the mighty heroes of old, the famous men. How many of you are familiar with the term Greek mythology and a lot of mythologies in all over the world? You know, these titans, these demigods, they're half human, half God. Well, this is where this came from. And so, so get, get this, let this sink in before we get into the real uh, subject, is that this was a very unusual time in human history where there was an angelic incursion and there was this, this hybrid species that was not human, not angel, that was brought forth. This was a very dangerous thing. It was changing the human DNA structure, spreading like wildfire across the earth. By the way, um, those that have done studies on population development, you're, you're from Adam to here. You're about 656 years. And with the longevity, people were living like over 900 years in age, typically with the longevity. The population of the world at this point, it could have been anywhere from 750 million to even up to 4 billion inhabitants on earth. And this, we don't, we don't know how far spread this hybridization had gone. Uh, what we do know is that all over the world, and usually in the highest uh, elevations, we find these megalithic structures. And if you've never heard of these before, go online and just just... Type in two words, megalith or more than two words, megalithic structures and Nephilim. And you'll come up with a lot of interesting things. I, I don't believe these megalithic structures can be sufficiently explained in any other way than Genesis 6. That there were species that were giants, gargantuan strength, half human, half angels, and it produced an incredibly decadent, dangerous society. So let, let's read on. So you kind of got, got what the feel of things are there. Verse 5, but the Lord saw the wickedness of humankind had become great on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of their minds was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted 
that he had made humankind on the earth and he was highly offended. I'm gonna read you that verse again in another version, it's important. So the Lord said, I will wipe humankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. Everything from humankind to animals, including creatures that move on the ground and birds of the air, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Now I wanna read you verse six again in another translation because the version we read, it doesn't quite communicate the emotion that was in God's heart. So here it is. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It did what? Broke his heart. The old King James Version said it grieved him in his heart. It broke God's heart. Sometimes we have this notion that because God is outside of time and immortal and eternal, that he's detached in real time from human uh, emotions or, or, or natural emotions. He's not. Uh, even though he knew these events were going to take place, when they happened, it broke his heart. Um, a lot of times I, I hear people that are, that are critical of this particular episode in the Bible where God, you know, cleanses the earth of humankind and kind of restarts. And some people will say, well, yeah, wonderful God, real loving he is. He, he slaughters 750 million, 400 billion people just because they wouldn't do what he wanted. Well, what you actually have happening here is a tremendous intervention of God to rescue the human race. The human gene pool was being corrupted at such a rapid rate, I think, that it was, it was danger. What we do know is that there's one last guy on the earth that God can look to and says, that guy trusts me and I trust him. And it was Noah. No one else was left. The earth had become that evil. How many of you know that if you take a pair of white gloves and you stick them into mud, that the gloves become muddy? Can I see your hands? I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. Do you also know you take the white gloves and put them in mud, the mud doesn't become glovey, right? Evil, in a short period of time, for short periods of time until God intervenes, evil does overcome good. All you got to do is think of the violence. doesn't matter how good, good people are, violence will nullify that good, take their life. So, so get the picture. Earth was a mess at this point. So let's look on. So it was really... God, with a broken heart, intervening to rescue humanity is what this was about. It was not some outburst of his wrath uh, because he was ticked off because nobody was listening to him. Verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a godly man. He was blameless. And that word blameless is interesting. It could be hinting at his DNA was intact uh, and, and others were not. Uh, he was blameless among his contemporaries. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was filled with, what is the word? Violence. Whenever evil spreads, violence inevitably spreads because people just take what they want any way they can. The earth was ruined in the sight of God. The earth was full of violence. God saw the earth and indeed it was ruined for all living creatures on the earth were sinful. So God said to Noah, I've decided that all the living creatures must die for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm about to destroy them in the earth. Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you should make it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and finish it leaving 18 inches from the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm about to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under the sky all of the living creatures that have breath of life, that have the breath of life in them. Everything that is on the earth will die, 
but I will confirm my covenant with you. You will enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And you know the rest of the story. Um, They work on this ark, Noah, assuming his sons work with him, for possibly 100 to 120 years. It was a big project. Let me give you a sense of how big this thing is. Here's a life-size replica in uh, Williamstown, Kentucky, and it is enormous. In fact, they've done some interesting studies that indicate you actually could bring all the animals two by two in small stages and all that. And by the way, I'm going to ask you to do something. Take your pens with me for a minute and write down on your program a couple uh, websites I'm going to give you real quick. Because there's tremendous compelling evidences for the reality of this global flood. Let me just give you something to think about. They find seashells at the highest elevations in the world. You know, either somebody went around with boxes and said, we're going to scatter some seashells up here so people think that a flood happened or, you know, or it it happened. But there's lots and lots of other evidences. So write this down, creation.com. This is a good website to ask all kinds of questions about evidences for the flood. Creation.com. Let me give you one more. It's a little longer. It's called... um, uh, Shoot, I forgot. I did it perfectly in the first service. Answers in Genesis. Answer, and that's all like together, no spaces in between. Answersingenesis.org. Answers, plural, in Genesis.org. Go to those two sites and you'll find all kinds of fascinating facts about the flood and uh, compelling evidences that this, this was a real global phenomenon and there's tons of evidence for it. Okay, so... We kind of know the story, and Noah, suddenly, he's an ordinary guy. He's got three sons. He's married, and um, all of a sudden, he has this assignment given to him by the creator to build this colossal boat. By the way, the scripture indicates that up to this point, there had been no such thing as rain on the earth. The earth was kind of enveloped with this canopy type of thing and dew watered everything, and so rain didn't even make sense. Now, the flood was not just rain, by the way. It was the waters from the deep of the earth, it says, burst forth, as well as 40 days and 40 nights of rain. But, but he's told to build this thing that made no earthly sense. It was a gargantuan project. The guy had no training. He, he had no support. The world was full of evil. Nobody wanted to help him. They, they probably mocked him and made fun of him. What are, what are you building this thing for? Because of flood? What, what are you talking about? Flood. You know, it was just a, a horrific thing that he was asked to do. Huge. And yet, we know the story. And so, what about in our lives? I mean, are there things that we kind of know God is asking us to build but it seems overwhelming, it seems too big, we don't feel adequate, we don't feel trained enough, we don't feel supported enough, we don't feel like we have the resources, we don't feel like that it's gonna be appreciated even if we go to building it. I mean, it might be some level of relationship that you know God wants you to build it. I mean, let's face it, we're, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but then to love our neighbor as ourself. We're, we're to love people. That's not an easy thing to do. Some people are pretty darn hard to love, right? <laughs> so, we're called to build relationships, and maybe some of us are called to build businesses. Maybe some of us are called to build ministries. We're all called to build character. I said that earlier. And it can feel overwhelming sometimes. But God never calls us to build anything that he doesn't know we can do. He will help us. He will empower us to build anything that he wants us to build. And he wants us to get at it. He wants us to get building because it's as we get building, it builds us. 
that doesn't just build and bless others around us, but it builds us as well. Things come alive in us. The ability to solve problems and, and creativity that we didn't even know we had until we start touching some things and working at some things. And it ultimately is very fulfilling, these things that God calls us to build. So the important part of this whole story, though, is this. Noah actually did what God said. I mean, can you, can you imagine how differently this thing might have went down? Uh, supposing the Lord comes to Noah and he says, uh, hey, it's really bad on earth. You're, you're like the last guy on earth that I can trust, that trusts me. And, um, you know, the human gene pool was being wrecked. And Noah, I'm sorry, man, I, I got I to gotta rescue us. And to do that, I'm going to have to wipe out everybody and start over. So I need you to build this big boat. And Noah says, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored that you would tell me. And I believe you. I trust every word you say. Uh, thank you. Month goes by. Noah hasn't gathered any lumber. Two months go by. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Gets right up to that 100th year. And he hasn't built anything. The Lord comes to him and says, Noah, Noah, you're, you're running out of time, man. You got like 10 years left, 20 years left. Uh, well, I, I believe you, Lord. I believe you that you're going to bring the flood. Would that have saved him his wife, his sons, their wives, would it have saved us? We wouldn't be here today if Noah hadn't actually built what God asked him to build. We sometimes get it confused that just believing what God says is true, that that's what God calls faith or trust. It's not. It's not. It's not until we act on what God says he wants us to do that there is evidence that we actually trust him. This story wouldn't, wouldn't exist if Noah hadn't actually built this gargantuan boat. Listen to this verse from the New Testament book of Hebrews pertaining to Noah. Once again, it says, it was by faith or trust that Noah heard God's warnings about the things he could not yet see. And he, what does it say he did? He obeyed. Trust in God and obedience to God always go together. It's our trust in God that's dynamic. It keeps us motivated and inspired. It's our obedience to God that causes us to change and to develop and to become who we were always meant to be. So he obeyed God and he built a large boat to save his family. He could have said, oh yeah, I believe you, God, but if he didn't build, it wouldn't have made a bit of difference. This, this principle of obedience. And to show you that, you know, in religious context, sometimes this thing really gets confused. Uh, there's a lady, her name is Petra, uh, Resky, and she's the author of a book called The Honor Society, The Secret History of Italy's Most Powerful Mafia. And in the book, what she points out is that most of the mafia leaders and hitmen are very religious and see themselves as Christians, good Christians. And, and to give, give an illustration, she quotes this one guy. Um, there's this picture, Marcello Fava. Um, what is it that's interesting about him? <laughs> I mean, I'm not much of a man to say this, but isn't he handsome? There's something, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> my hair was a lot thicker than now. <laughs> Marcelo Fava, check this out. Before I had to kill someone, not me, him, uh, I would cross myself and I would say, dear God, stand by me. Make sure nothing happens. But I wasn't the only one who crossed himself beforehand and prayed to God. We all did. Mafia murderers, hitmen, 
asking God's blessing. Please, Lord, guide my bullets <laughs> that it might hit the target. I, I mean, this happened. I, I read in the same article, they, they talk about this one guy, a mafia boss, whose name is unpronounceable. Some of those Italian names, man, they're just unpronounceable. But he had in his house five Bibles. They were all marked up with uh, marginal notes in it, you know, and underlining stuff. And he had 73 statues of Jesus. And on each of the statues he had engraved, Jesus, I trust in you. Is that legit? Was he a Christian? Were his sins forgiven? Is he headed for the eternal dimension called heaven? No. Don't be so foolish if you were thinking that. We make the mistake of thinking that God asks us to believe in some facts and have some sentimental feelings toward him. No. He wants to actually reconcile us to himself. In other words, he wants us to come back to him in the only relationship that we were ever made to experience, one in which we trust him. And the evidence for our trust in him is we actually do what he says. If we don't actually do what he says, if we don't actually obey him, our faith is phony, it's inconsequential, it's dead. It's belief in some stuff, but it's not real trust in Christ. Listen, I harp on this because churches are full of people like this. Probably some of you are like this. You think that because you prayed some prayer and asked Jesus into your heart or you came forward at some altar call or you had some religious experience, you think that that's sufficient. It's not. Unless whatever you're calling a relationship with Christ looks like this, that because you trust Christ, whatever he says in his word, and you are drawn to his word because you trust him, you want to know what he says about life because you trust him. And when you go to his word and he says in his word, don't do those things because you trust him, you stop them. And then you look in his word and he says, I want you to do these things and develop these traits. And because you trust him, you do them and you develop the traits. Unless your faith is dynamic like that, it's false, it's phony, it's not real. Listen, if Noah would have just, you know, said, hey, God, I believe you're cool and never built anything, we're not here today hearing this. The human species stops. Faith without works is not real faith. Yes, we're saved by grace, God's unmerited mercy and favor through faith, through trust, but trust reconnects us with our creator in the only kind of relationship that free moral agents can have in the universe to work. This is the only way life works. Let me show you a couple verses that just sort of substantiate this. Paul, the apostle, writing to followers of Christ living in Rome, in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Through him, meaning Jesus, through him we received grace and apostleship. Well, why? Why, Paul? Why did, why did Jesus call you to be an apostle? To call all the Gentiles, Gentiles is just people of the nations, it's just anybody, to call all the Gentiles, peoples of the nations. But, but Paul, what does God want you to call them to? To the, what is the word? obedience but it's obedience that comes from what that comes from faith do you see the connection because i trust christ i want to obey him i want to know his word i want to do his will because i really trust him trust faith and obedience always always go together let me show you one more in the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, 1, 9. It's speaking about Jesus. And it says, because, of he, because his obedience was perfect, he was without sin. Because his obedience was perfect, he was able to give eternal salvation. Isn't that what we want? We want eternal salvation, complete forgiveness of all of our sins, everlasting life in the kingdom of heaven where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. How many want that? How, how many want to live in heaven eternal in a new society where nobody's ever alone, nobody's ever sick, nobody ever dies? Yeah, we want eternal salvation. Well, he was able to give, it's a free gift, notice we don't earn it. He was able to give eternal salvation to all 
who do what? Obey who? Him. Trust and obey. How many of you guys remember the old song, Trust and Obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus? Let me sing it to you. I know those old hymns. You would not like it. You would not recognize my rendition of it. But it's true. It's true. We, we have to get these foundations. Listen, Noah really did the work. And it was hard and discouraging. And I'm sure there were injuries and I'm sure there were setbacks. Can you imagine him trying to motivate his sons to get up and work every day and work on this boat on dry land that's with this enormous size and people are making fun of them all the time? You know, it it was hard. Probably many a time he was challenged to quit. He probably felt like this is just too hard. You and I, we're called to build something and often we feel like it's too hard. I'm untrained. I'm ill-equipped. I can't do this. And yet God calls us, no, you need to build this. If you trust me, You can do it. We can build it. All right. So the first step is getting at it. Whatever it is that God wants you and I to build, and I assure you we're all meant to build some things in our life, we should be building it. Primarily, it's relationships, and they're really important. But building it or or initiating it is only the, the beginning. You have to finish it. I mean, suppose Noah would have built this gargantuan boat and he gets it all finished, but he doesn't pitch it. And and by pitch, it says that the Lord instructed him to put pitch on the inside and on the outside. Pitch is kind of like this tar-like substance so that cracks in the lumber won't allow water to get in. Uh, You you don't have to make pitch from tar. You can make it from um, tree tree resin and stuff like that. But, But anyway, the point is, if I'm Noah and I get the whole boat built, I'm going to be very tempted to say, uh, Ham, Shem, Japheth, yeah, go, pitch, go pitch the boat. You know, go, go put the pitch on. You know, or I'm going to be tempted to give it up because this is a nasty, sticky job. A boat of that size, you're going to have sticky, gooey, nasty stuff all over you probably for months, if not years. It's hard sometimes to finish. I get way more excited about starting things than I do about finishing it. <laughs> any, any of you with me on that? Usually finishing means all these dirty little details and you don't see much production. And I, I like to see a lot happening quick, you know, but man, I hate it when it slows down and you got to get real careful with things. But if he hadn't put the pitch on the ark, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. I had this guy, a doctor, Dr. Scranton came to me in, after the first service. And he said he had this friend that uh, his life has been devoted to research and DNA and all this kind of stuff. And he says, they, I'm just telling you what Dr. Scranton told me, okay? He said, they've traced back female DNA. All female DNA can be traced back to, well, first, let me ask you a question. How many women were on the ark? Somebody said four, you're right. Shem's wife, Ham's wife, Japheth's wife, and Noah's wife. This Dr. Scranton said that this, friend of his who is an expert in DNA says they have traced back all female DNA to four women. Fascinating. Anyway, if Noah hadn't have finished, if he hadn't have put the pitch on, 150 days floating on the water would, wouldn't have went well. The thing would have sunk. Your challenge and my challenge is not just to start building the things God wants us to build and put the hard effort in, even though we feel discouraged and we feel overwhelmed and we feel ill-equipped and we don't get much appreciation or affirmation, but to keep at it and to finish it. And finishing it is hard. You look in Scripture, a lot of times some of the people that started out strong for God as they got older, it's when their failures came in. Solomon is a great example. I remind myself of this stuff regularly. I want to finish really, really strong. 
And I know that humanity, human beings, we're weak. We get tempted easily, particularly as time goes on. It's, It's interesting. So finishing, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, his attitude toward finishing the work, the building that God gives us. He says, but my life, speaking of his own life, was worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. For him, it was the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He was concerned about not finishing, finishing the task. What is it that God's called you to build in your life that you're tempted right now to just pull away from and not put the extra effort and finish building it? And probably all of us have that. Another example in the New Testament book of Hebrews, the believers uh, in Jesus during this era, they were being persecuted by their fellow Jews. The temple was still standing. They were confused. They, they were wondering about, you know, is this Jesus' real deal or not the real deal? Some of them were ready to go back to temple worship so their Jewish buddies would receive him again. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't lose your bold, courageous faith for you're destined for a great reward. We, we, we have to stay courageous, stay bold, stay building the thing that God calls us to build. He goes on to say this, patient endurance is what you need now. You know how you get patient endurance? By building something and by wanting to run and quit, but you don't because you trust God courageously. That's the only way you get endurance. So that you will continue, that's the deal, continue to do God's will. Then you'll receive all that he has promised. It's finishing things. God's promises, his blessings, if you want to look at it in that way, they often don't materialize until you finish it. Noah, until he finished the ark and the floodwaters broke loose, he probably still had doubts in my mind. Man, am I crazy? I mean, how many of you as Christians you've ever felt sometimes since we live so differently as followers of Christ, living by this book, this ancient book, how many of you have ever wondered at times, man, am I nuts? Nobody lives this way. Nobody thinks, nobody's listening to this book today. The best and the brightest, the majority of people, they, they, don't, they don't buy this. Am I Am I nuts to believe in this unseen God? Just curious. How many have ever had that struggle? Can see your hands? Yeah, it's not uncommon. I think Noah might have had that feeling. But when the time came for God to intervene into human history, it all changed. The blessing comes when we finish, when we finish being faithful. By the way, there's a lesson here too that our God does not tolerate evil forever. He promises he will intervene. God is allowing evil for a little while so that he can eliminate it forever. What do you mean, Randy, he can eliminate it forever? He's big and powerful and bad. He can eliminate it anytime he wants. No, he can't. Now, if you understand that he's created angels and humans with free will and his desire is to rule over only those that trust him and want his will and who exercise their free will so as to never, ever desire anything but his will who never, ever desire to sin again. How do you do that? How do you convince people that have already been immersed in sin to get to the place where they don't want to sin anymore? Well, one good way is let them, let them see what it brings. And all human history is God letting us see what sin brings so that we will be immunized to sin ultimately. We'll look at it like it's poison. He's also revealed his character as utterly beautiful and trustworthy. And that also brings us to the place where I never want to do anything but obey God again. So God's allowing evil for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. And he promises, just like he intervened in Noah's day, he's going to intervene again. We're going to sing a song at the close here in a minute about God's intervention. I believe many of us, if not most of us, will live to see that intervention. 
Not based on fanaticism, but based on lots of years of study of God's word and its prophecy. There's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell, and he wrote a book uh, called David and Goliath. Uh, Interesting. In the book, he talks about very successful people, leaders like uh, William Branson and Charles Schwab and, and many others. And he said that what he discovered is that many of these people had tremendous learning disabilities, dyslexia and all kinds of things. He found out through some other studies that about one third, almost one third to one half of these high level successful leaders had severe learning disabilities. And, and so he was trying to figure out what, what's going on here. And, and one way to look at it is that these people just had what it took to overcome it. But then he said, but wait a minute, maybe there's something else at work here. And listen to what he came to the conclusion of. The second more intriguing possibility is that they succeeded in part because of their disorder, that they learned something in their struggle that proved to be of enormous advantage. He's saying because of the struggle applied to building, because of the struggles of building the things God wants us to build, is it possible that something will come alive in us, new strengths will develop, new creativity, new patience, new humility? He's saying these people, maybe what made them such good leaders is because the power of their disadvantage humbled them in ways, stirred them in ways that it actually became an advantage instead of a disadvantage fascinating theory but I believe that that's the way God works with us when he allows us to go through circumstances that require our cooperation and our effort with him let me uh let me close with another verse or get ready to close from the book of Colossians the New Testament Paul writing to a buddy his name Archibus and he just says this it's pretty simple hey hey man be sure to finish what finish the work the Lord gave you that's my word to you my word to me, be sure to finish building what it is God's called you to build. Is it, is it some relationships that you know of? Maybe it's a relationship with an enemy you got to build, you got to learn to love. Maybe it's a relationship with some friends. Maybe it's a relationship with some people in the community. Maybe it's, you know, within your family. I don't know. Maybe it's within the framework of the church. Maybe it's some ministry, some team. Maybe it's some business. I, I don't know. I just know that you're designed to build, and God's going to see to it that there's some things for you and I to build and as we build them they build us they change us and yes if we build well they bless others as well in the 2008 Olympics a guy named Brian Clay he participated in the decathlon that's 10 different events and they give you points the competitors all get points in the events and he was way ahead in the 2008 Beijing and so it came down to the last event it's a hundred and I guess 115 meter race and uh, he was pretty much a sure end. He could have coasted probably and still won, but he didn't coast. He ran full out. Well, reporters being reporters, they, they got him afterward, and they wanted to know, when did you know you had it in the bag, man? When did you know you had it wrapped up? And his answer is very interesting. Here it is. He says, I had worked and trained and competed for eight years to be able to have the gold medal hanging around my neck. And if there was anything those eight years of competition had taught me, It was that in competing against the best in the world in 10 grueling events, anything can go wrong before you what? We need to take that one to heart. Finishing is harder than starting. And finishing well is something God wants for all of us. And we can do it, but we have to 
continue to keep our eyes on the goal and, and on Christ. So let me close with this. Um, can you at least, can you get some clarity, personal clarity in your mind today, what are your building assignments? Just like you gave Noah a building assignment, a redemptive building assignment, you, you've got some. Do you know what yours are? Could be your friends, could be your family, could be your business, could be your ministry, whatever it is, do you know it? First of all, get that clear. Second, are you at it? Are you building it? Are you geared to finish it, no matter what the personal cost and no matter how difficult it may be? And then third, it would be awful if I didn't do this. Have, have you cooperated with Christ in building this relationship that he created you for from all eternity? He, he loves you more than you could ever imagine and wants just so much that you would just trust him. He can't, he can't release his love. You can't experience his love until you trust him and do what he says, and then you'll understand his will is always for your good. Have you returned to Christ in trust? I'm not asking you if you've been baptized. I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not asking if you go to church. I mean, I could live in a doghouse. It wouldn't make me a dog, right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christ follower. I'm asking you, have you returned to Christ your creator in trust? Can you say, Randy, I'm going to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow him, Randy, fully, and I'm following him freely because I trust him. And I'm going to follow him forever. You just watch me, Randy. You'll see. You'll see. I'm going to finish the job. I'm going to build this relationship with Jesus, and it will last for eternity. If you haven't made that decision, you haven't initiated that relationship, you can do that today. You can say, today, Lord Jesus, today, I'm putting my trust in you, and I'm going to follow you. I don't care if no one else in the world does. Noah was all alone, just his family. So we got three things we can think about and pray about and take some initiative on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you put your spiritual DNA in, in us, as it were, and that this wonderful capacity you have to build and create it's in us and you allow us to participate in it help us to see those things you want us to be at to be building and give us that persevering spirit to really finish no matter what the cost to finish and to finish well and if there's anyone here lord and you know our hearts that has not yet turned to you lord jesus in trust and become your follower man i so hope i so hope this will be the day lord jesus it's in your name i pray